New Vision is a church that places high value on Scripture. The Bible is made up of 66 books, and in this next portion, we're going to be going through a few of those books as a church family. We hope this tool encourages you and equips you to lead your life well. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for another opportunity to be with y'all. Though true confession, this passage from Jude is probably not one you'll likely get all excited about sharing with your preschoolers at bedtime. Like most of the other general epistles, the title takes its name from its author. Most scholars identify the writer as Jude, the half-brother of Jesus. He identifies himself as the brother of James, which makes him the half-brother of Jesus. The Gospels record his name as Judas, but English translations shorten it to Jude, probably for the same reasons that no one today names a child Judas or Adolf, for that matter. Jude is one of the skinny books, just one chapter. It was probably written in the early 70s, 30 years or so after the resurrection. The initial audience isn't mentioned, but we need to hear it today, I think. So I guess the audience is us, regardless of who received it at first. So let's read it, see what we can discover for our walk today. I'm reading from the New American Standard Version. Verse 1, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe, and angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode. He has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. And just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Wow, that'll take the air out of the room, right? Well, there are a couple of recurring themes in Scripture that our culture struggles to understand. And we sometimes think these themes are opposites, two ends of the same rope, because they are extremes in opposition. But they aren't even related other than being played out in the lives of Christ followers and pretenders who sometimes occupy two ends of the same row. One theme is God's love, that theme of the grace he extends to all creation. Jude explains he would love to have written a letter about that grace and mercy that abounds to folks who do not deserve it, folks like you and me in common salvation, in our common salvation. It's outlandish and lavish 
and reckless. Jude said he wanted to talk about our common salvation, about the grace of God, his mercy, his peace and love multiplied to us. So one recurring theme throughout Scripture is God's mercy. But there's another theme in Scripture, and that's the rebellion of those who would take that grace and that mercy and that love and try to use it to their own advantage. Jude reminds us the Christian age isn't the first time that's happened. And just as in ages past, those who would choose that rebellion will suffer dearly for it. There are consequences for those who would deny God's call to repentance and obedience that may make us uncomfortable. It's an unpleasant conversation. But there's a darkness that exists in the absence of God's light. Jude says, watch out. There are those in your midst who will lead you astray from God's goodness. And the consequences of that will be and always have been tragic. The New Testament has multiplied examples of those with impure motives sowing discord and heresy in the community. And if the nation of Israel was not exempt, if angels in heaven were not exempt, if entire cities were not exempt from God's judgment, don't even think these false prophets or you or I would be exempt. It's not found in this passage specifically, but what can we do to not be led astray? How can we, as Jude encourages us, to earnestly contend for the faith? Well, there's three things we'll consider today. I'm sure there are others that you could identify as well. First, be grounded in your personal relationship with Christ. I wish there were another way to put that. One of my passions is finding new ways to say overly familiar things so folks can actually hear them. I just have a hard time finding another way to say that. So maybe an illustration can help. You see, I can tell you at least 50 things about my wife, Cindy, without even thinking about them. When and where she was born, her mom and dad and where they were born, who her brother is and what he does for a living. I can tell you what she likes to do and what she doesn't like to do and what she's reading right now and who she likes to spend time with and what she studied in college and her favorite perfume and outdoor sports and the 70s rock bands she likes and little known skills she has and her kids' names and their kids' names. But none of that grounds my relationship with Cindy in and of itself. I could probably snoop around and get a lot of that off her Facebook page. The personal relationship with my wife, Cindy, is in a daily surrender to the relationship, to her heart, and to wanting the best for the relationship. It's in time with her, in hearing her heart, and trusting her heart. So if someone came to me and said, you know, if you're going to make it this uh, in this marriage thing, if that's going to work out between you and Cindy, you need to, and then tell me three things I should do. Well, maybe they're legit. Maybe they're goofy. But two things I would do immediately is talk to Cindy about them, because I can, and compare them to the 41 years of living life together. See, that's a grounded personal relationship. And interestingly, Paul uses marriage to describe Christ's relationship to the church, to you and to me. 
so you can talk to him about anything and about everything. Embarrassing stuff, sinful things that threaten all your other relationship. I mean, he already knows, right? Jesus is not a set of rules. He is a person alive in you through his spirit, willing and able to engage your concerns, your fears, your lack of faith, your sin, and your grounded personal relationship with him will guard you from the evil intent of these Jude warns us about. Second, because of that grounded, surrendered relationship, not in place of it, but because of it, you'll want to discover more about this one you love. You'll want to read and study and listen to what he says. And it won't be long at all before you can recognize his heart and voice among all the other competing voices. Jesus himself taught that what we say reflect who we are and what we actually believe. Our words reflect our true heart. And if we know the master's words, then we know his heart. We can more quickly recognize that which does not reflect his heart. And because his spirit is in us, we will be repulsed by that which is less than him. Through the years, I've had folks share all kinds of teaching they've received at this or that conference or from this or that TV preacher or the latest YouTube from brother so-and-so. I can assure anyone, the more you know the heart of the Lord, the easier it is to spot an imposter. You may not have a name for the particular heresy or what's off kilter, but you can hear the Spirit prompting you. Don't go there. Be careful with that. Hey, that's just plain weird. Third, your vertical relationship with the Lord should inform and guide your horizontal relationships in community, not the other way around. See, Jude identified three examples of brokenness and tragic consequence in his warning to the church, and all of them went south because, to one degree or another, they put more emphasis on their horizontal relationships or their relative power over their peers than they did in the emphasis on their vertical relationship with the Lord. Now, let me quickly say, the Lord knows we need solid community. I mean, he created us for life in community. That's what the church is supposed to be, a faith community. But the community and our relationships are measured against God's expressed word and will. We filter the place of our community through God's heart, not God's heart and will through the relative importance of our community. And if you have to choose between an association, between a community, a political party, a relationship, a church, and the Lord, choose the Lord. He'll give you a new community. Now, please, do not, don't you dare rush off and do something crazy today with your family or job because I said God will give you a new community. He also gave you a brain. Pray and talk and seek wise counsel in everything, including your community. So what can we learn from Jude in this passage? One, be grounded in your personal relationship with Christ. Second, discover more about this one you love 
So you'll recognize his voice. Learn to distinguish his voice among all the others. And then third, let your vertical relationship with the Lord guide and inform your horizontal relationships in community. It has been my privilege to be with you today. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for joining us today. We'll see you tomorrow as we hop back into God's Word.